Welcome to the Hub Crawl, a roundtable podcast discussing all things Disney. I'm Eric. And I'm Tag. Each week, we invite two guests to bring a question and talk about one of our favorite topics, Disney. This week, we want to welcome Devin to the show. Hey there, super excited to be part of the show. Well, welcome to the show, Devin. Thanks for joining us. Also joining us this week is Andy. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you both so much for joining us. Let's start off this week with our first question. What is your favorite Walt Disney story? What do you think, Devin? Oh, man, that, that's a good one. I thought about this one, and uh, I landed on Walt's 30th wedding anniversary party, which was on July 13th, 1955, a few days before Disneyland opened. Um, and I think I chose it because y- you know the whole story of Disneyland being built in a year and the craziness of it all. And everything I've read about this night, you know, Walt invited a bunch of his friends and family and celebrities and they took the Mark Twain out around on the river and um, they had a party at the Golden Horseshoe and supposedly Walt got up in the balcony and mimed fighting with Pecos Bill and like jumped down from the balcony onto the (laughs) stage and it was a whole thing. But um, it seems like it was like Walt being able to show off the park that his dream to everybody for the first time and, uh, you know, kind of him realizing like what he built and what it was going to become. And uh, something I read a firsthand account by Diane Disney was that at the end of the night, you know, everybody was worrying that he'd had too much to drink and he needed to get home. And so she, you know, she took him home and apparently he crawled in the backseat of the car and he had his Disneyland map and he rolled it up like a bugle and was like pretending to play it. And then he just fell asleep holding the map, like a little kid on his way home from Disneyland. Like, I think we can all relate to that. Like having that memory of falling asleep in the back of the car on the way home from Disneyland. So yeah, I thought that was such a cool little like personal human story of, of Walt that you, you know, you don't really think about too much. So um, what about you uh, tag? What do you, what's your favorite story? Well, I'll tell you, I've heard that, that 30th anniversary party story, but I did not hear the part about him in the car. So I learned something new tonight. So thank you for that one. Uh, we just came back from Disneyland for with, uh, my on my other podcast co-host, Teresa. She got married, finally. And uh, one of the things that uh, we went with our two exchange students, and one of the thing, stories that I told them was, oh, do you know how they space... And this could be an urban legend, but you know how they space the trash cans? Walt grabbed a hot dog, and he said, put one here. And by the time he finished eating the hot dog, boom, that's how far the, the trash can could be. And uh, Max, our German exchange student, thought that that was just the the funnest story. So that was the one that was fresh in my mind uh, for that. I will have to give an honorable mention, though, uh, which I also told this story when we were in Disneyland, and I thought was hilarious because it sounds like something I would do, which is uh, when Walt gave Lillian the petrified tree, and I think her response <laughs> was like, oh... That's nice. You can put this in your park if you'd like. <laughs> like you know, it's one of those gifts that was more more interesting to her, to him probably than it was to her. So uh, I told James, I said, that sounds like something I would do. I would get you something that I really wanted, uh, and then you just give it to me. So what about you, Andy? Uh, so like I talked about when I was on as a guest on DL Weekly, my mom worked at the park in New Walt, and she hung up on him at one point, which you can listen to in one of the episodes. I think it's 179, if my memory serves me correct. But as a general story, I think my favorite thing was just as someone, as you grow up and you figure out that Disney's, you know, not just magic, it's a business. And hearing and finding out the facts of how they did all the shell corporations and loopholes to get Disney World built so that, you know, the people that own the land couldn't just jack the price up. 
I thought that was just spectacular, if not, you know, shady and underhanded <laughs> to a degree, but it got it done and he did not get taken advantage of, which you knew would have happened if he had come out. So I think it works both ways. And I just thought that was a fantastic bit of skirting the rules for Disney as, you know, as a park that is so known for, for rules and, and keeping everything the way it is to see Walt become kind of a quote unquote normal person and say, how can I get this done and, and effectively as possible and obviously as cheaply as possible without sacrificing creativity. I thought that was just laughably pretty awesome. So what do you think, Eric? Uh, I, I do love, I do love that, that aspect of building Walt Disney world. That's pretty great. I love the idea that Walt basically hung out at the park and would, would hang out behind like on around and behind main street at various times of the day. And you can imagine him smoking a cigarette in the trees behind the jungle cruise, watching boats go by out of, he view. smoked cigarettes. <gasps> what? Oh no. Are we allowed? To, we're, we're not. Disney doesn't pay for this. Didn't they fine. like Photoshop out like all of the cigarettes in his hands? In, in some of the pictures in uh, steakhouse 55, if I recall. Yes. Oh my. Uh, but the, the thing about this that that really delights me is the the sun-kissed shop on Main Street. He would stop in there every morning before the park opened and ask f- for them to make him some fresh orange juice. To be alive at a time when orange juice was a weird and and exotic thing is interesting in itself, but then to have Walt stop in because he was so entranced by the machine that they had and all the the way the the oranges fed through the machine and it would fresh squeeze it right there. I just love that idea. Well, that wraps up our first question. Now we go to Devin for their question this week. Yeah, so if you could have lunch with one person from Disney history other than Walt, who would it be and why? So let's start with you, Tag. Who would it be? Oh, my goodness. I stared at my screen for a solid 10 minutes today trying to figure this out because my, of course go-to is Walt. Uh, There was a period when I was kind of trying to think of somebody. I was like, well, maybe Michael Eisner, because to me, he was the closest thing we've had to Walt since Walt, uh, because he was like the person who was on TV, and he did a lot of great things with the company. But I think I'm going to have to either go with Tony Baxter, who I love and is my idol, because he made two at least two of my favorite attractions, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and Indiana Jones Adventure. He also is responsible for uh, leading up the Disneyland Paris Park, which is the most beautiful Disney park in the entire world. Or I think I'd, uh, if I couldn't do Tony Baxter, I think I would do Marty Sklar because he worked with Walt and I feel like he has 50 plus years of Disney Imagineering knowledge. And I feel like you could ju- he, he could just talk for hours He's forgotten more about the Walt Disney Company than most people, I think, will ever know about the Walt Disney Company and working for Imagineering. So I think both of them would be great choices. But an Imagineer, I think, is 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 the gist, like the, the base of it all, I suppose. Uh, what about you, Andy? Uh, so I can't pick Tony Baxter. So that, that takes that off the list because <laughs> everyone, I think, would love to talk to Tony Baxter or Joe Rohde or someone like that. I went with Mark Davis just because his art style translated so well to the rides that gave such a giant boost to the storytelling something like jungle cruise that was when you see the original concept it was kind of stagnant and the there was no kind of life in the animals so he made it 
more real and more silly than it could be in real life. And it just brought the humor out of that ride and made it what it is today. Same thing with pirates, with the the larger than life caricatures of, of the pirates that are there in the haunted mansion. I just think his his art style and his his sense of timing and direction and staging for all of these rides. Because I've read a, I have a few books on Mark, and it's just it's more than just the artwork. It's he was involved in almost every single park in his time and came out of retirement to help with some of the parks as well. Um, if I can't pick Mark, though, I would I would also go with Jim Cummings, the voice actor, um, just because he did the majority of voices when I was little. Winnie the Pooh, he did Tigger, he did Darkwing Duck. I mean, you name it, and he's he's done it. He he filled in as the singing voice for Scar when Jeremy Irons couldn't sing, and just nailed you know the the villain song in that one. So, I, either of those guys, I think you'd have a great time at lunch. Um, and I think the the foursome that we've created here that we will you know round out in just a second, man, that would be something else to sit down with those guys. So I'm excited. I want to hear what Eric has to say, though. Who do you want to, to eat lunch with, Eric? I would love to eat lunch with Ward Kimball. The train? Walt's- the train? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, uh, the engine number five. Yes. Is it number five? I just pulled. Yeah, uh, maybe it's number five. We'll look that up. Um, but yes, uh, Ward Kimball, one of Walt's nine old men, uh, involved in so many of the early animation projects. He's a trombone player, and I'm a trombone player. Uh, he was he was the leader of the uh, the Firehouse Five Plus Two, which is it is it engine number five? Nice, <laughs> way to go! All right, memory. Um, it, don't remember what I ate uh, at all today, but uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, one of nine old men Firehouse Five Plus Two. Involved in so much early animation, in just one of those those Disney legends, and he was one of Walt's railroad buddies. One of those people who, because this was a thing that you did in the fifties, is you just have a small train in your backyard, and he was one of those people that had these parties called steam ups with Walt, and that's bizarre in itself. So, well, I word Kimball. <laughs> I do want to say I pulled up the Disney Parks blog. Uh, in August of 2013, they had uh, like a, a informational thing about the word Kimball. And since you talked about it, I just wanted to mention this t- tidbit here that it was the uh, first new engine to be added to the Disneyland Railroad in nearly 50 years. It was oh, wow. put into service uh, on June 25th, 2005 and dedicated on February 15th, 2006 as part of the celebration of the 50th anniversary of Disneyland. Hmm. Oh, oh, that's cool. awesome. All right. Well, that's it for for me here. Uh, Devin, who would you like to have lunch with? Yeah, I mean, you all picked such great people. And, um, you know, I, I working for Disney, I feel fortunate. I have been able to meet some, you know, somewhat notable or pretty notable people over my time there. Um, my very first day of the company, I met Dave Smith, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been able to meet Becky Klein while visiting the, uh, the archives. Um I, I've ran into Joe Rohde when he was at the commissary on <laughs> the Imagineering campus. You know, at the time, I didn't even know who he was. I just saw this guy with all these piercings in his ear. <laughs> and then I realized after, I was like, wow, you're a big deal. So, <laughs> but, um, you know, I thought about it all, but, you know, I, I, I do work in numbers at Disney. So I felt like I really only had one choice and it was Roy. Uh, you know, he was, 
he was like who paved the way for the opportunity that I have today at the company. He was the original numbers guy. And, um, you know, I would just love to kind of pick his brain and understand how he was able to keep everything going, um, you know, and really kind of get the real story of how close things maybe ever came to calamity or falling apart. Because you just know that for all the dreams and uh, passion that Walt had, that the glue that really held it together and why we have the company today, I think, is Roy. Like Roy was able to be that person to really uh, make sure that, you know, Walt stayed on the on the straight and narrow path to get things done, but also was able to dream as big as he could dream. Um, yeah, I just think I could get some great, you know, it, better advice than anyone could give me today about how to do my job at Disney. How did you how did you start it all? So, um, yeah, I think I think it would be Roy. Roy, the enabler. Yes. I can't imagine exactly. trying to wrangle down Walt's ideas. <laughs> right. That must have been I, so crazy. Only one person can do it, right? The big brother. That, All that's I know, <laughs> you know, it's such a such a touching story, too, that Roy was not a creative person. But after Walt passed, he put off his retirement to get Walt Disney World built. And yeah. it was a very short period of time after Disney World opened that he passed away so it kind of took everything he had left in him to get that open so i think that's very touching as well i think it goes back to what you were saying in one of the previous episodes on dl weekly that disneyland is and then the company with the parks seem to work better when there's two people at the head the the creative and the financial and i feel like that's that's missing in the parks right now yeah yep well that's two questions down which means we have reached our halfway point and it's time to ask for your support If you enjoy The Hub Crawl and would like to keep it going, head on over to thehubcrawl.com slash support to get some perks and show your support. Thank you all for listening and supporting in any way that you can. All right. Well, it is time to get back to the questions. And my question this week is, if Walt would have lived longer, how do you think that would have changed the parks and the Walt Disney Company? So we'll start with you, Andy. What do you think? So you said you stared at the screen for a couple of minutes with the last question. This one took me, uh, I honestly, about 20 minutes to try and figure out what I would want to put with this. I think the first one that springs to mind is, is how, I don't want to say watered down, because I know how, how hard these guys work, but the emphasis on sequels and IP-based projects in the parks, and I think I'm not alone in that. I think you guys have talked about that on the podcast as well. I think the best parts of the parks are the standalone attractions that didn't have a history mansion, big thunder pirates. Well, I mean, and since then pirates has gone into IP and that has then influenced the ride again, but still, um, I think that original content is definitely something that's missing that Walt would pump through back into the park. Um, I also think the leaps in technology that we've seen in the parks, he would definitely take advantage of that. Something like the interactivity elements, uh, from toy story mania, uh, the Musion effect that, that um, what's her name in, in, in Star Wars? I'm blanking on her name at the moment. Ray. Ray. Yeah, that Ray has, how they do that. I, I was blown away when I went to Galaxy's Edge to see that. I think that kind of technology he would implement, especially in overhauling what is sorely necessary with Tomorrowland. I think all of that technology he could package and pump into Tomorrowland and really change, you know, that that poor part of the park that seems so neglected. Um but that's just the two things I think I would think of. I'm excited. I want, I want to hear what Eric has to say, though. What do you think, Eric? 
All right. Yeah, it, it's an interesting uh, idea, and I've, sp- I've spent a lot of time thinking about this as well. I, I'm not. I, I don't like doing the "What would Walt have done? What would <laughs> Walt think?" sort of thing because we have no idea. The man operated on a different level than most of us, and it's it's hard to imagine how he would he would have reacted. I think based on his track record, just like you, just like you mentioned, Andy, he would have really latched onto some aspects of technology and said, this is the next thing. Would he still be interested in, in animatronics anymore? I, I don't know. Maybe he would have moved on. Like you see people complain about screens at universal. I think, I think he would have moved past screens by now. He would have adopted it early on, found other ways. He would have had more VR or AR in the parks because it's something that adds an additional level that, that wows people. Uh, those holographic, the Musion effects that you mentioned, that's great. I think the Star Cruiser, Walt, if somebody had, had proposed to Walt, you can take theming to the next level and we're, we're going to have a bunch of actual actors there and a bunch of really cool tech and people are going to feel like they are doing they're in the movie. I think he would have gone for that in a second. He would have he he would have gone for it and I think he would charge just as much money because it's it's worthwhile. It's crazy the things that they're doing there. And I, I don't I don't know what comes next. Not I mean, but I think Walt would have been the one looking at looking at contacts at NASA and other now, he would be the one that would actually be approaching Elon Musk and saying, all right, what, what do you, what do you got? Let's, let's do that. Let's bring that into entertainment instead of something practical out in the world. Let's, let's make this happen in a, in a fun way for, for my guests. Uh, what do you think, Devin? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to speculate. I, I figured you guys would cover the park side of things pretty well. So I tried to think about maybe just company-wide, like how things would, would have changed. The one parks thing, and I, I'm not going to really take it because I, I think tags can get to that. If we can all probably, Epcot's a big topic, right? And, you know, but I, I think I think tags got that one covered. It's kind of, it's pretty well noted that the Disney film studio kind of hit a rut into the 70s and 80s. Like they really stopped with the hits and animation kind of hit a lull after the, after Walt passed away as well. Um you know, he was 66 when he died. So you, you think of how much longer would he have really actively worked? So, you know, I'm going to say, I mean, he's, he seems like the kind of guy who would work till he, you know, probably stop, can't work anymore. So let's say another 10, 15, 20 years at most. Um, it got me thinking, like, I, I think the film studio and the animation side of things probably would have still hit like leaps and bounds and would have thrived through that time. So who knows what stories we would have gotten, but that started getting me down another train of thought is, if that was happening, then the company never really would have gotten to like maybe the, let's not say dire straits, but the, maybe the needed jolt it needed in the early 80s. So, you know, would Michael Eisner and Frank Wells ever have actually been hired and come on board? Um, and along with that, that brings Jeffrey Katzenberg, who basically was the brainchild behind the animation revolution of the late 80s and early 90s. So would we ever gotten, you know, the Little Mermaid and, and Aladdin and those and Beauty and the Beast? So it, it's, it's interesting because I think parks wise, yeah, he, you know, Walt would have been heavily involved in um, Disney World and, you know, international expansion. Um, you know, he was he was a dreamer. He was always looking for 10 steps ahead. Um, but it's just tough to know, like it's almost like there could some of the good we've gotten maybe wouldn't have happened, but we would have gotten other good. So it's, it's, it's a weird one to think about. <laughs> so uh, I don't know, bring it home tag. What do you think? 
You know, Eric, I didn't think about this uh, in that way of the the whole what would Walt do thing, because there is a group of people that any decision the Walt Disney Company makes is like, would Walt do this? And I think you're right. Nobody would know knows what Walt would do, to be honest. But I will say that to me, Disneyland and the parks when I was younger were just the theme parks and the movies were the movies. But my mind was blown when I saw the pitch video for Epcot, which was the last recorded thing the Walt Disney ever did. It was just a couple months before he passed away. And if anybody who's listening has not seen it, go look it up. It was a part of a DVD collection. Um, you can find it sometimes on YouTube and stuff. Uh, I don't know if it's on Disney+. Plus. Devin, maybe you would know if it's on Disney+. Plus. I don't think it's on Disney+. Plus. I don't think so, but it should be. <laughs> it should be. Everything from the archives should be on, on the Plus, I'm telling you. But anyway, really but Epcot, for those who aren't aware is not the geodesic domed theme park that we know today. Epcot was going to be an entire community that was always looking to the next thing. It was going to have monorails and people movers and the the cars were going to be separated from the walkways and it was going to be like this whole thing of the future. And that's what Disney World was supposed to be. And the fact that they scaled it back and did a theme park and stuff, when I see that video, it makes me in a way, resent the rest of Disney World that came after Magic Kingdom that took that ability for them to create that away. However, it does take a lot. And even Walt Disney says in that video that no one company alone could do this, that they would need a bunch of different people to do it. So hard. The other thing I want to say is Walt Disney pushed a lot of stuff, right? In the in the in the 11 years, <laughs> Walt, from Walt, from Disneyland opening to when he passed away, huge strides were made in technology in the theme park industry. So even if he would have gotten 10, 20 more years, I just imagine that we would we would have gotten to where we are now, but maybe a lot sooner with a lot of things. I think he would have pushed a lot of that. And so that's what I think we miss the most. And I feel the same way with Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs also passed early, you know, young. It seems like these people who are visionaries seem to die young for whatever reason. The world The world is a sadder place without them. But that's what I think is Epcot uh, and the Walt Disney Company, I think, would have obviously probably would have hit the dire straits earlier because I think it costs a lot of money to do something like Epcot. But I think like with Disneyland, I think it was a gamble that would have paid off. I think it's funny, like what you what Devin brought up. I hadn't thought of that either. I think most people look at Walt as infallible. And yet you look at all of the things in the park that didn't work or that he slapped him, uh, you know, he needed a, a, um, a sponsor for like, would we have, you know, GE presents Mr. Toad's wild ride, you know, but would we have these weird sponsors in the park that don't really match up or we think that everything he did was successful. So how do we know that going forward, all of these other things would be successful? You don't. And because he's passed away, everyone looks at him in rose colored glasses and myself included, but you know, something like Epcot, would that, would that have been like, celebration is what they tried to do in, in Florida that's still there. You know, would that work? I think the world's pavilion um, is, is an awesome idea. But just like what Devin outlined that I hadn't really thought about, all of the things that we take for granted after he passed away probably wouldn't have happened or probably would have happened very differently. So yeah. do you get you do you get that revival in animation? Do you get, you know, the, the rapid expansion and funneling all that money into marketing? It's it's a kind of crazy what if when you do, when you think about not just the good part about it. Absolutely. Well, 
Uh, excellent discussion. Thanks, everybody. Uh, let's move on to our last question with Andy. All right. So this one's going to be a little bit easier and a little <laughs> bit more lighthearted. Uh, if you could take home a piece of Disneyland ride memorabilia that has to fit in your home, no trains tag, what would it be? And let's start it off with, let's go with Eric. All right. Uh, to be fair, Ward Kimball had a train in his backyard and so did that's Walt. That's true. <laughs> okay. But in your home, I guess that's a different thing. I, personally, I have a tiki bar in my home and I would love to have that ship in a bottle from Trader Sam's. I know it's not a ride, but but still, it, this is the first thing that comes to mind. I love that effect. The When you order a shipwreck and everybody's yelling and the lights are flashing and there's spraying water around, there's a there's a ship in a bottle up on a on a shelf and the ship sinks. It's a great effect. Reportedly, I believe it was in the Adventurers Club in Orlando when that existed. And I believe it also is based off of an illusion that Yale Gracie came up with that wasn't used in the Haunted Mansion. So this little effect has this great history, and I would love to have it. Let's hear from Devin. You know, I thought long and hard about this. I love, um, you know, I love things from Pirates. I love things from uh, Peter Pan. But, you know, I couldn't think of anything that was like specific from one of those rides. So, um, you know, my mind uh, was drawn to the Haunted Mansion. And in the Haunted Mansion, there's so many cool things, right? So lots of things to choose from. And uh, <laughs> I chose the Hatbox Ghost. The Haunted Mansion itself, it just has so much like lore and, and history to it. And the Hatbox Ghost himself is, uh, you know, it's a thing of uh, like it's almost like a thing of legend. You know, it was it was there and then it was gone. And then because it was gone, there's all these stories of why it was gone and was it actually ever there? And is there really a photograph that exists? That was in the, everyone seems to know somebody who rode the ride when it was there. And that, and then you know, I've heard the exact year. I think it was you know 2016 or 17 when they when they finally did bring it back. You know, it's it's such a cool effect now that you just it catches you off guard and. Um, Halloween is one of my, probably my favorite holiday and I love decorating my house for Halloween. So I thought, oh, this would be the best Halloween decoration to have. I mean, I'd probably just leave it out all year round anyway, but just uh, to have that out on the porch when uh, trick or treaters come up and have the effect go off, like that, that, that would be it. That's all I'd need. So yeah, I, I, I think that's what I would choose. All right, Tag, how about you? Well, first of all, you made me think of two things with your thing. First of all, you could have been sassy and been like i will take the haunted mansion it is a house <laughs> uh, oh i never thought of that i should yeah yeah loopholes i like telling that. you but with the with the hat box ghost i was thinking you want to leave it out it'd be really cool to make it like a doorbell where it has a like a static picture of your face in the hat but when they ring the doorbell it disappears and then like you answer a video call and your your face appears in, oh in my the face gosh. and you're like, Yes, can I help you? That would be really cool. I think I need to Devin, change my make answer. this happen. <laughs> <laughs> I changed my answer to what Tag said. <laughs> <laughs> so so Disney, if you want to make a lot of money, you could sell these type of things. It'd be really cool. Partner with Ring Doorbell or something. For me, this was difficult because I can't think of any off the top of my head, again, this was another one I stared at for a while. I cannot think of any particular piece of memorabilia from an attraction that that's so strong in my mind. However, I think I could fit a single people mover car somewhere in my house. Uh, maybe make it like a breakfast nook or something. Uh, I love the people mover. And 
the Tomorrowland Transit Authority People Mover in Disney World is not the same. The, the ride vehicles are totally different. I love the fact that the the roof would kind of like open up on you. I don't know. Just the People Mover in Disneyland. Uh, let's all pour one out for the People Mover. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, if I needed something a little smaller, a Skyway bucket would also work because I also enjoyed the Skyway bucket. And the best thing about the Skyway is going over the electrical parade or over the parade route where there was a parade. It was so easy to get from one side of the parade route to the other by taking the Skyway. What about you, Andy? What what came to your mind when you came up with this question? I'm sure you had something interesting. I debated with my wife. For, I actually had to pull her in to ask her this question because we couldn't, we couldn't settle on it. At first, I wanted to do one of the ships from Peter Pan. I think like what Devin was saying, like how cool would that be to drink coffee in, 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 in a flying pirate ship? Um, but realistically having it try and fit in my house and through my door, I, I don't know about that. Um, but I'd make it happen, I think. But in terms of what I would actually pick, I ended up going with Mr. Toad's buggy just because how, how cool are those old jalopy vehicles? If I could get one of the, like the old honky horns on it too, I'm sure I would annoy my wife, but man, that would be worth it. Uh, the other thing, much like what I'm glad you said the thing about the, the door knocker with the hat box ghost. I thought that's such, that's a cool idea. So what if, what if I had like, little Madam Leota, a little Leota at the end that says goodbye. When I leave the house, I just say bye to her. Like I say bye to my dog, you know, and have her, have her say hurry back and I'll come back. It'd be great. How good would that be? Wow. Tag. We, uh, we got it. We got to get you over to the Imagineering campus right? in some capacity. Cause they actually do have a skyway bucket in the, uh, commissary area. That's just out there that you can, you can sit in. So, in, uh, in Disney we'll Springs, <laughs> they have one hanging from one of the shops, like, on the second story. And I think at one of the D 23s, they had one too. And Oh, rocket rods. They had a couple hanging up in the rocket rods queue. Oh, Stupid oh, rocket, rocket rods. rods took my oh, favorite attraction from me. <laughs> or Tony rocket Baxter. Uh, but <laughs> I have to remember what Eric said on the last episode of the hub crawl, which is people think of the, like they think of all the good things of these attractions that are gone and they fondly remember them. But there's a reason they aren't there anymore. Maybe ridership was low or something like that. So, like, usually there's reasons. So, just got to keep that. Well, Except with uh, people movies, there was no reason it was wrong. They should have taken it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what they should do? They should bring the Carousel of Progress back from Disney World because we have nothing in our stupid building there. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> well, we still... We don't really, but I'm going to throw in the bonus question because I'm a sucker for the bonus question. So <laughs> thinking back over all of the stuff that Imagineers had planned, but never came to fruition, there is more stuff that has not been built that has ever been built. What thing would you most like to have seen be constructed, Andy? So I took this two ways. Uh, I thought of where you have enough space and then here, so down in Disney World or in Disneyland where there's not a whole lot of space. Disney World, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Avatar. I don't think I'm alone in that. Uh, I loved the original concept for Beastly Kingdom where, you know, you have the two realms, I guess is what they called it, uh, with the quest of the unicorn and dragon tower with the light side and kind of the dark side and bringing that, that mythic animal quality to Animal Kingdom. I think that would have been just absolutely mind blowing, especially if they do it at night and you could have it all lit up or black, you know, however much like they do the bioluminescence at, at, at Pandora. Imagine that with mythical animals, like how rad would that be? The other thing, if it's Disneyland, this was actually proposed and it didn't get 
done past the art stage is the Enchanted Snow Palace that Mark Davis worked on, which ends up looking a lot like the Frozen ride um, over in Epcot at Disney World. But it's it has a lot of gags in it with penguins that are hysterical. It has a lot of just really neat ice sculptures that he would have made out of fiberglass and plastic and who knows what else. But the the concept art just looks amazing. And how nice is it on a hot day at the park to sit in something like Small World, which would be a similar ride like this where you float through and it's 90 degrees outside and you're air conditioned in an ice palace. I mean, I, I don't think you can really beat that, but I want to hear what Eric has to say. So what what would you kind of bring back or, or put into place, Eric, that that never kind of made it to that final stage? Well, back in the, the 90s when 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was closed at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, there were plenty of ideas about what was supposed to go in there. And one of the things that uh, I think we keep hearing these rumors about different villain-based properties. And there was going to be Villain Mountain. It was going to be a flume ride that incorporated a a ride through the underworld on a boat with Hades. It would have ended with Chernabog. It would have had a whole collection of villains in this space. I just love the idea of having a villain themed ride in the middle of the new fantasy land that they put together. Seven dwarfs mind train is, is cool and all. Uh, There's also a a meet and greet with Ariel. That's a a great way to fill some space, but (laughs) villain mountain, I think would have been fantastic. It never went anywhere beyond concept art as far as I've heard, but I, I would really like to see more villains property around. And what about Devin? What do you think? Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't choose between two things. So I guess I'll just quickly touch on both. Um, you know, one um, is the idea for Liberty Street at Disneyland, um, which, you know, I believe was originally uh, thought up in the late 50s and was supposed to sort of be this street that ran, I think, parallel to Main Street and was really kind of more of that, uh, you know, colonial times. Uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, like I, I've grown up in uh, Southern California. I went to Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm my whole life. And it, it felt a, almost a lot like what areas of Knott's Berry Farm are, where you kind of have these uh, immersive, uh, I don't want to say role playing, but you know, you know what I'm trying to get at. And, um, you know, it, it obviously never came to be, but it sounds like a lot of what was supposed to be in Liberty Street ended up at Liberty Square in, in Disney World, which... Um, I think is a really neat area. So I guess we kind of got it just in a different area. Um, the other, um, I know there's been different different podcasts and books and everything have talked about this, but the whole uh, early 90s idea for Port Disney Long Beach, um, you know, the whole let's pit Long Beach versus Anaheim and is it going to be Port Disney or Westcott? And that whole thing is just so fascinating. Um, it sounded like it was going to be the craziest theme park with nine hotels and a cruise port or a cruise terminal and all these things. And, you know, obviously never came to be, but then it sounds like a lot of elements of that ended up in Tokyo Disney sea. So I guess, you know, one thing Disney does well is if they plan something and it doesn't work out once it's, it's there and it'll probably be utilized in another way. Um, but I think, I think both of those would have been neat to see, even though I guess we, we kind of got half versions of them in, in other <laughs> forms. So uh, tag, what about you? Bring it home. All right, easy one. Uh, uh, we already talked about it earlier. Epcot. I already said what I'm going to say about Epcot. I wish Epcot would have happened, the original Epcot. 
but I also heard, I think the Western River Expedition was also a Tony Baxter thing that was supposed to kind of happen. I want to say, if I remember correctly, I, di- I did not research this before the episode. I'm just trying to go off memory. But it was supposed to be, I think, in the back of the, uh, the area, uh, at the back of the Rivers of America. And it was supposed to have all this kind of stuff, um, you know, some uh, very similar to... Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and a bunch of just a ton of stuff all like together at, in this kind of one area slash attraction. Um, and it was, you know, it was one of those total blue sky, you know, it, it probably would have cost a billion dollars to build it or whatever. But oh, yeah, it was enormous tag. We talked Mark about Davis it. has all the concept art and have, how it planned out and mapped out. It's it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it we, that's right. It was a Mark Davis idea. And that that's what started that feud between him and Tony Baxter was Tony picking up elements of that and mm. doing Splash Mountain and Big Thunder Railroad. And oh, oh, well. you talked about it where? Oh, I, that's right. I talked about it in my other show, The Supreme Resort. <laughs> we had a Frontierland episode where I, where I went through Western River Expedition. Wow. So that was part of the even though it was never built, that was still valid for Frontierland. Well, it was already a long episode, so why not talk about <laughs> something blue sky? I had to have something to uh, try to pit Walt Disney World against Disneyland's Frontierland. Mm-hmm. Not like we know anything about long episodes. This one's definitely going to be there. Well, it, th- is that it then? Does that, does that do it for this episode of The Hub Crawl? I think so. All right. Well, thanks uh, to our guests, Devin. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. And Andy, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. This was great, you guys. All right. And join us, everybody, next time where we will continue to talk all things Disney. And maybe actually stick to our time. Who knows? Thanks, everyone. <laughs> See you next uh, time. <laughs>